That is, that is such a great statement. We love you more than life. You know, I tell you guys that all the time. I hope I don't tell you that too often. I, I mentioned that in the first service, I, I, that I love you more than life itself. I, I really do, but I hope it doesn't become kind of watered down after saying it over and over again. I, I, I have a friend... I have a, one of my best, best, best friend in life. Uh, we, we roomed together for four years in college. We've known each other since uh, 1956. I know, I don't look that old. I, I get it. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, anyways, uh, I, we've known each other that long, and, and uh, um, I had the privilege of leading him to Christ and then uh, telling him over and over again how much I love him, which I do, and uh, now on his answer phone. Um, he has on there, this is Bill, I'm sorry I missed you, I just want you to know that I love you more than life itself. And he has that on his answer phone. Sometimes when I call him, I'm disappointed when he answers, because I, I don't need to talk to him, <clears throat> I just want to hear that message, because it, it means so much to me. And so I, I hope I don't over say it. I want you to know I do love you more than you'll ever know. And and, and obviously our Lord loves us so much, and and Paul wants to relay that to us. This particular place in Scripture <laughs> is so incredible. If, in fact, Romans is <clears throat> one of the great books in all of Scripture, and if, in fact, chapter 8 is the high watermark for this particular book, the book of Romans, then verse 28 is the pinnacle. If, in fact, all of that is true, then verse 28 is the pinnacle of God's teaching. He says in verse 28, For you and I can know, we can know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. This verse, in and of itself, is one of the great verses of assurance that you and I will ever try to comprehend out of the Word of God. You see, Paul has explained to us in the book of Romans to this date. First and foremost, he explained to us that we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. As a matter of fact, he says, there are none of you who are righteous, not even one. Then he went on to explain that we can receive the righteousness of Christ through faith in Him and Him alone. And then he teaches us it's not through the things that we do. It's not through work. It's, it's, it's not through our being kind or all of those other things. It only comes through faith. After explaining that, then Paul told us, in and through this life in which we live, there will come suffering to everyone. Suffering is a part of it. Christians as well as non-Christians. And then he taught us that the creation groans for us to come to this fruition of knowing the Lord and being with Him in heaven. We groan, believers, waiting for this time to be redeemed. And then he told us that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings that are too deep for words. And through all of the suffering and groaning that haunts every single one of us who have trusted in Christ, comes verse 28 to the very peak of this great chapter. 
saying we can know that God causes all things to work together for good to those of us who love Him, to those of us who are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Father, please teach us from this simple, simple, excuse me, Father, single verse the wonders of this truth that we have in knowing You. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know You, Father, that for whatever reason has put that off, I pray that this particular day would be a a changing point in their lives, a, a time where they see, I get it, I get how much He loves me. Let me give back that love in return. I trust, Father, that you will bless this time. I I trust that you will open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And I trust, Father, that you will move me aside so that I don't hinder what Paul has written to us through the inspiration of you yourself, Father, so that we might understand you so much better and understand the whole idea of church and unity within the body of Christ. Please, Father, bless us. I pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Paul begins by by assuring you and me that we can know something for certain. He starts by saying three very simple but powerful words. And we know. Paul expresses through those three words the absolute certainty of our eternal security in heaven once we've come to trust in Christ. Paul is not expressing, by the way, his personal opinion here. He is setting forth the inerrant truth of the Word of God. He declares, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every part of our lives is in God's faithful and trustworthy hands. We know according to God's purpose. Therefore, we know that we will be divinely used by the Lord. Not only that, but we can know that our Lord will work it all out for our ultimate blessing and good, according to His purpose. So why are we so secure? First and foremost, God guarantees your salvation. He guarantees it. He is responsible It says, we can know that He causes these things to take place. Well, we learned last week in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 that it was impossible for God to lie. But we learned further in that same book, the book of Hebrews, 7th chapter, 25th verse. Jesus Christ also assures your and my salvation. Listen to this great, great verse in Scripture. Jesus says... He, our Lord, Jesus Christ, is able also to save forever. Let me read that again. That's pretty cool. Therefore, He, Jesus Christ, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He, meaning Jesus Christ, always lives to make intercession for us. You know, just like the Holy Spirit intercedes for for us on our behalf, when, when we pray, He takes our prayers He intercedes for us and He takes the prayers to heaven itself before God the Father with groanings, He says, that are 
too deep for words. So we are, we are taught that Jesus Christ also intercedes on our behalf. Now beyond that theological truth, both the Holy Spirit and God the Son praying for us, Paul is saying that your eternal security is clearly revealed so that all believers are able to know without a shadow of a doubt, with certainty, the comfort, the hope, the reality, the truth. But there is, there is something in it. And what it is, is you and I have to believe God at His Word. We have to simply trust what God says. And sometimes, I'll grant you, that's not, not always easy. I mean, sometimes it's difficult. Circumstances seem to say to us something much, much different. But no, Paul says in this one verse, you and I can know that God is going to cause all things to work together for good. To those of us who love Him and to those of us who are called according to His purpose. So security, first and foremost, in this verse, is certain. Secondly, it is certain because of the source of our security. It is God who causes these things. You know, your salvation does not hinge on your being good. Your salvation hinges on the promises of God. I mean, you, we need to thank God for that. I mean, Paul himself was as transparent as he could be with us, saying, Wretched man that I am, who is going to set me free from this body of death? Well, he said, well, thanks be to God. It's been done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul, being as transparent as possible, shared his, his doubts. Wretched man that I am. But Paul now makes certain that we know that God is our guarantee. Everything, because of God, will work together for good. Now the word all things there in verse 28 is utterly comprehensive. It, it has no qualifications, no limits. N- neither this verse nor its context allows any restrictions or conditions. All things is inclusive. In the fullest sense, there is absolutely nothing existing in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that's going to... Let me read it to you. Paul makes certain that you and I understand the love of God for us. Look at the end of this chapter, and look at verse 37, for instance, of chapter 8 of Romans. But in all of these things, Paul says, we overwhelmingly conquer. I mean, in and of itself, that's such a great verse. We overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Then Paul says in verse 38 that he is convinced. He is convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, powers, heights, depths, depth, nor any other created thing, now watch, shall be able to separate you and me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, this is important. God loves you so much, but Paul is not implying or saying by any stretch of the imagination that God is going to prevent you or me from going through difficulties here on this earth. Rather, Paul is saying this. This is really critical. 
that the Lord takes everything that happens within your life and my life, He allows it to happen, even the worst of things, and He turns those things ultimately into blessings for His purpose. I want to share with you how we know that's so true. I want you to turn with me, please. Hold your place here and look at 2 Corinthians. It's to the right, just two books. You'll go past 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. And Paul uses himself as an example in this case. That all things do work together for good. Now, if you've been with us any length of time at all, you know that my hero of heroes in the Scriptures, apart from our Lord, of course, is Paul. I absolutely love Paul. I can't wait to see what he looks like. Um, I just want to see him. I just want to see him up close and personal. I don't necessarily want to talk to him, but I do want to see him. I want to watch him. And Paul says an amazing thing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 7. He talks about a problem that he has in his life and that he wants to get rid of it. Watch what he says. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, in other words, all of the wonderful things that he has been revealing to people of all the places that he goes, of all of these revelations, he says, for this reason, same verse, verse 7, to keep me from exalting myself. Hmm. When I read that, I kind of stopped. I thought, you know, Paul is one of the most humble human beings I've, I've ever ran across in Scripture. The man is just humble as it could be. And yet, here he makes himself transparent again, saying, because of all the wonderful things that I've been sharing with all the people, uh, God, to keep me from getting puffed up in and of my own self, look, the rest of verse 7, he gave me a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what that is. Some people say uh, Paul had a, some sort of a, a, um, a problem with his eyes. He got some sort of a, an infection of sort, and he was losing his sight. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. What was, what was the thorn in his side? He says, though, a messenger, rest of verse 7, of Satan was there to torment him, to keep him from exalting himself. I mean, transparent. I, I love that particular verse. Concerning this, he says in the 8th verse, I implored the Lord three times that this would get away from me, that it would leave me, that I wouldn't have it anymore, that it would, whatever it was that was troubling him, He wanted God to take it away, whether it was a a, a sickness, an illness, whatever. He asked God three times, remove this from me. And can't you not relate to that? Sure you can. Uh, There there is a dear lady that doesn't come to church much anymore because she's just riddled with uh, arthritis. And it's so hard for her to get dressed in the morning and and all of the things. It was just difficult and I call her. Uh, in fact, I'm going to call her this week. I haven't called her in a while. I feel bad about that. The Lord just convicted me. I'm going to give her another call. And, and, but she'd love to come here. And, and, and I cannot tell you how many times I've prayed with her that the Lord would take that arthritic problem away from her. At least I'll let her be able to walk around with some, uh, one, some semblance of comfort. But he never has. He never has done that. I understand what it means to pray. Paul said... Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. But he says in the next verse, God said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Power is perfected in weakness. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast in my weakness 
so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. Therefore, he says in verse 10, I am well content. I've, I've decided that I can be content in this situation, whether it be with weaknesses or insults, whether it be with distress, persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sakes, when I am weak, then I am strong. I want you to know that Paul understood even though he was as obedient to the Lord, I guess, as anybody that walked this earth. I don't know. But it sure appears to me that he was an obedient young man of God. He still had a thorn in his side, something that troubled him so much so that he, he pleaded with God to let it be removed. That, that also reminds me of our Lord when, when he was praying in the garden and he, he went to the Father and he said, Father, let this cup pass away from me. Remember when he said that, when he prayed not to go to the cross, but then he was quick to say, but not my will, but thine be done. We go through difficulties. We all do. So what do we know? Well, we know that your salvation, if you've come to Christ, is certain. It is certain. You can know this. Because, number two, from the source that it is given to you, it, is coming, it comes to you from God the Father. Next, Paul speaks of our unity. And if, if you just read through verse 28, you might not pick this up. It says, God causes, back in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, God causes all things to work together. The three words, to work together, in the Greek is S-U-N-E-R-G-E-O. What does that mean? Well, we get the English word from it, synergism. Is that the way you say that, synergism? It means, let me tell you what it means. I knew, I think I knew what, I thought I knew what it meant, but thank God in the commentaries that I was reading, they explained it. Synergism means it is the working together of various elements to produce an effect that is greater than the sum. The working together of various elements to produce an effect that is greater than the sum. I thought about that for a while. I thought about the body of Christ. I thought about you and me. I thought about how there is a variety of gifts in this room. You know, of course, we know, when we come to Jesus Christ, you are immediately given a gift, a spiritual gift from God, and you've been given that gift of God to use within the body of Christ to help build up the body of Christ. I know that much, and so do you. So I'm thinking of this word synergism. What is our Lord saying to work together? The working together of various elements to produce an effect that is greater than the sum. And I, was, I, turned with, and I want you to turn with me, please, to the next book to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We were just in 2 Corinthians. I want you to stop short of 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read to you a good portion of this particular chapter. It talks about there are a variety of people, a variety of gifts, but we are all supposed to be doing the same thing. Building each other up for the cause of Christ. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. He says, now, there are a variety of gifts. Well, I just said that to you. I, I knew that. I read that. But there is the same Spirit. Verse 5, there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. 
Verse 6, there are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Verse 7 is a great verse. I have it underlined. Well, I have the whole chapter. I mean, what, you know, somebody told me once, why do you underline in yellow? You ought to, what stands out more are the things you didn't underline than the things that you underlined. But in verse 7, I have that a star and red and listen to verse 7. It's, it's just one of those great verses. But to each one, that means each one of us who have come to Christ is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And for what reason? For the common good. It says in the New American Standard, who has the New King James? What does it say in the New King James? Does anybody here have the New King James? For the profit of all, the Lord says. Best chili I've ever eaten apart from my wife's. We had a Rock of Ages the other day. The other night we had Rock of Ages. If you've never come to Rock of Ages, shame on you. You miss so much. Really, you miss so much fun. And we had a chili cook-off, and she won. Going, I mean, I don't know who else. Someone else might have made chili here. I shouldn't be. But it was awesome. It was awesome. She did such a great job. Anyways, tell me again, for the profit of all? Works together to, for, for the profit of all, she said in the, in the New King James. So your gift, my gift, was given to us to profit the body of Christ. Think about that. You know, it is so necessary for you and me to use what God has given us for the profit of one another, for the common good of the body of Christ. I, I'm so reminded... When I was back in, I, I, I pastored uh, Yorbalin, the Friends Church. For I, I, I absolutely loved every, almost every minute of that experience. Actually, I loved every minute of it. Now, didn't for a while. Now I do. It was an amazing time in my life. I, I met a man there that uh, has affected my life, and he always will. His name was uh, Dave Flock. Most of you wouldn't know him. Uh, David was, was a pillar in that church. He, uh, he was just one of the real men of God. And he had the gift of helps, and he knew it. By that I mean, he, after any function, he was at everything. He would do whatever it took, vacuum the floor, stack the chairs, do whatever it took. And uh, he told me this story. He used to get really angry with people just standing around doing nothing. And one guy in particular, he told me who his name was too. He said all he would do is stand there and he would, yeah, 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 just yap with somebody, talk, 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 talk. And he's stacking chairs and getting angrier and angrier by the moment. Why don't you help? Why don't you do something? And one day he, was, he went beside him while he was talking and he was pretending like he was stacking chairs and listening. And you know what the guy was doing? He was sharing Christ with this guy. He was sharing Christ. And all along he found out that this guy had the gift of evangelism. He had the gift of sharing Christ and David Flock said that night he went home and asked God to forgive him, that he would have a, a bad attitude about this guy using his gift while he was using his. If you've ever stayed here after the service, stack the chairs back up. There's a man that works on this campus. His name is Dak. I try, I, I once while I stack a chair or two. <laughs> I'm not a good worker. But I stack a chair or two. I, for every stair, chair I stack, he does at least a row. This guy is a machine. He just can work. 
I don't know that he's a believer, but I know he has the gift of works. Boy, this guy can work. He knows how to just work. In Dave Flock's incident, in, in his life, he was upset because of this other gentleman. And what he came to realize is we all have a part. I use this story to tell you, if you say, well, I just stack chairs, would you please get rid of the word just? Because the fact of the matter is, every, every gift that has been given by God is of great importance. I want to prove that to you in, in this place in Scripture. Watch what goes on now. Look at verse 11. We're still in, we're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you went back to Romans, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 still, verse 12. For even as the body is one, it yet has many members. That's truth. All the members of the body, though, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13. For by one spirit, we've been all been baptized into one body. Whether you be a Jew or a Greek, a slave person or, or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. That's true. Now, Paul tells us and uses an example of of our physical body. He says in verse 15, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Verse 16, And he says, If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If, he says in verse 17, the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were were a hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But, he says, God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desires. Folks, he has given you your gift because he desired to give it to you to be used for him so as to build up the body of Christ for the common good of us one another. He says, therefore, verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, listen to this, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. You're not just doing helps. You're helping. It's your ministry. Gosh, I love this place so much. He goes on to say in verse 25, there should be no division in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member, verse 26, suffers, we all suffer. If one of us is honored, then all the members rejoice because we are Christ's body. We are individually members of it. You see, Paul lets us know that we're in this together. So what have we learned from this one verse? Now we'll go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Susan, I love seeing you. I miss, miss, miss you playing the piano. You know what we have in the new church? A piano. You know what I want you to do the first day we move in there? Play your little heart out. We've, I have missed you desperately. Yeah, I really have. From this one verse, Romans eight twenty eight, we see that our 
security is certain, and we know. We see that it is certain because of the source, because we know that God will cause it to work together. And we know that there is unity within this body because we work together, there is a synergy. There is a unity within the body of Christ. So, who is this security given to? Well, it is given to those of us who love God. Look, the qualification of this wonderful promise of verse 28, which is honestly one of the great verses in all of Scripture, has to do with those of us who receive it. Believers. It is solely for His children. God promises to work everything for good to those who love Him. Nothing characterizes a true believer in Jesus Christ more than a genuine love of God. In fact, God was so... He was so, may I say, jealous for our love that He even says so in one of the commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are, God says in verse 3 of Exodus 20, You shall have no other gods besides Me. He also says in verse 4, Therefore you should not make for yourself an idol, whether it be in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And He says in verse 5, You shall not worship or serve any idol, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He wants our love. Hey, listen, how many of us as parents do not understand that? I am so jealous for the love of my kids. I, am, I find something very bizarre has happened in my life. I am even more jealous for the love of my grandkids. That's weird. I really, I got one grandkid that he just attacks me, mauls me, hugs me and kisses me. And I, I am sad. I'll tell you what I'm sad about. I know there's going to come, he's a boy. I know it's going to come a day where that's not going to be cool anymore. And he's going to stop it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss it so much. But I got hope. Because I went through it with my son. My son, when he hit high school, said, Oh, Dad. You know, I said, Give me a kiss. No, no. Nah. Now he's 30-something. When I, go to, I, when I go watch my grandson play and he sees me coming towards me, he jumps on me and he kisses me. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's gone around. I've got it again. I love it. There's nothing more than a jealous love for a, for a child. God loves us with a jealous love. He also says the same in Deuteronomy 7, 9. He says, Know that the Lord your God, He is a faithful God. He will keep His covenant and His loving kindness towards you to a thousandth generation, to those of you who love Him and who keep His commandments. And in Matthew chapter 12, I picked this verse out because it doesn't speak clearly. It doesn't use the word love, but it speaks clearly about love. He says, Those of you who are not with me, you are against me. And He says, Those of you who do not gather scatter. I, I do like that verse. So we, we know that God wants to give these promises to those who love Him. But He also says, I want to give these promises to those who are called. Just as our love originates with God Almighty, we know in 1 John four nineteen, we love because He, what? First loved us. We love because He first loved us. 
And Paul teaches us here that our calling into this heavenly family is a part of the provision of our salvation from God. He says clearly, which we'll study next week, in verses 29 and 30, listen, he puts everything in past tense. Watch. He says, from, from those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. Verse 30. We read this last week. To those whom he predestined, he called, past tense. To those whom he called, he also justified, past tense. To those whom he justified, he also glorified, past tense. It's all been cared for. It speaks of what theologians often refer to as God's effectual call. In this sense, every single one of us who are called are chosen, redeemed, and glorified by God. Therefore, we are securely predestined, if you would, to be a child of God and to be conformed, as it says in verses 29 and 30, into the image of His Son. Now, all along with your faith, your faith is critical to your calling. And amazingly, God has given you and me the faith to trust in Him. It's an amazing blessing. Although salvation is God's call, His power, it's not accomplished apart from our faith. Listen to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Great two verses. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9 and 10. We'll get there. Who knows? when? We'll get there someday. If, he says, you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him, Jesus, from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes. That results in righteousness. And with the mouth, a person confesses. That results in salvation. So what do we have? Our, security, our salvation is secure. And we can know that for certain. Because of the source, God causes it to work together. Which brings about a unity within the body of Christ. A synergism, if you would. All of it given to those of us who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is what is God's purpose? Now that's important. What's God's purpose on this earth? I've asked you often, what is your purpose? You, you and I who are believers, what have you been called to do in your life? What is your call? I, and I beg of you to try to find out what that is. And that takes time and it takes a, 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 a trying to do what you think you want to do, what you believe that God has called you to do to, to start doing it. And you'll find out more sooner than later, I think, what is God's gift to you? What is His calling upon your life? What is your purpose? But what is God's purpose? Simple to know. Ultimately, God's purpose is, well, how many of you know John 3.16, maybe by heart, or you have an idea. You've seen it before, right? If you watch sports, yeah, you know. You've seen John 3.16. There's always somebody with a banner up there. But let me read to you John 3.16 with John 3.17. And let me share with you God's purpose for, your, for this earth. It says, For God so loved the world, John 3.16. As a matter of fact, you can kind of... You don't have to stay in Romans anymore. I'm going to close in a moment. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now comes God's purpose. He gave His only begotten Son 
so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but he sent his Son into the world that the world might be saved. Thank you, hon. I love you. you. Don't you ever stop sitting right there. So that this world might be saved through him. That is God's ultimate purpose for this world in which you and I live. Now, as I look around this room, I don't know everybody, but I know most of you. And I know most of you have trusted in Christ. I know that. When I was working in the, in the ballparks, I knew that most of the guys on the team didn't know the Lord and didn't even care to know the Lord. And to have chapel was not an easy thing. So I... I would show up to the ballpark and we would have chapel on the weekends. The the team gave me permission. The players did. But only two or three came. Out of the 25 players on the team, sometimes we'd only get one guy. Sometimes we'd get two, three, most. But I was faithful to show up. Showed up every week, every year, one year, next year. Tommy Lasorda took over the team. Tommy Lasorda said, we're having... He invited me to spring training. He invited me to Vero. He said, the first meeting he had with the team, guys, he says, here's the chaplain. He used to play with this ball club. He told them not very good, which I didn't think he had to add, but he did. <clears throat> he said, he used to play with us. He's one of, he's one of, the, one, one of us. We're going to have chapel. And he says, I want him to tell you all about chapel. And so he let me speak to the guys. And with that became an awareness of what we were doing. And then all of a sudden, we went from five guys to 10 guys to 15. And a few years later, out of the 25 guys on that team, 23 were coming to chapel. There were only two guys that were outside when we were having chapel. We would have music. I would have music in there. And, and every once in a while during the years, guys would peek in and see what's going on in there. You know, what's happening in chapel? And, and sooner or later they'd come in and, and, and they started to come to trust in Christ. And this particular verse I'm going to read to you is more pertinent, I think, to them at that time, or at least to me, than it might be in this room. But I remember of the two guys that didn't come, I wouldn't tell you who they are because it, that's, it would be rude. But one of them was the captain of the team. And I went to him and I said to him, don't you want to know everything that's going on in this, this locker room? I said, why does Tommy let me in here? What do you think we do in there? So well, I don't care. I said, but don't you think it's important for you to know? You're the captain. And then I stopped and waited for a response. He's a pretty bright guy. And he says, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to sneak, trick me in there, aren't you? And I said, yes. Yeah, I wasn't going to lie to him. I said, yeah, I, I want you in there. Bad. I said, more than me, I think the Lord wants you in there. He never came in, by the way. He never did. I wished I could tell you he got saved. He, he never came in. Whether he gets saved or not, that's, that's God's business in God's time. But there's a verse that I used to read to the guys <clears throat> that I knew weren't believers, but, I, but they, they, they came to chapel every week. It was in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some would count slowness, but rather the Lord is patient towards you. I used to say this to these guys. And I'd look some of them right in the eye, knowing that they weren't trusting in Christ yet. I said, but the Lord's patient about you. I don't want to look anybody here in the eye. 
And again comes his purpose. Not wishing for any of you to perish, but for every one of you to come to repentance or salvation. That's the truth of Scripture. That's the purpose of God. We can know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those of us who love Him, to those of us who are called according to His purpose. And His purpose is that you would come to know Him. Now, i got five more minutes before we, we need to close. I want you to listen to these magnificent words, and then I'm going to give about a minute for you just to be quiet and think for a moment. Here's what I want you to be quiet and think about. If you know the Lord and you can say, I know, I know Him, praise God. If you're one of those, in my opinion, a sad person that says, I think I do, I hope I do, I'm trying to, I want you to stop that. Stop it, stop it, stop it, please. Today is June the 9th. The year is 2013. You can know for certain you're a believer. Now, whether you walk boldly with Him and confident and all those other things, maybe you wouldn't know that, but you can know for certain that you're a believer. And I want you to know that. And for those of us who know, I want you to think for about, when I'm quiet, for about a minute on, how can we bring synergism? How can we be, bring unity into the body of Christ so that we're all doing what God has called us to do for the common good and building each other up? Let me read to you out of John, the first chapter, the 12th and the 13th verse. <clears throat> it is said by John, As many as received Jesus Christ, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Those two verses impacted my life back in March the 12th, 1973, when I came to trust in Jesus Christ. I wanted so desperately to be well, I wanted so desperately not to go to hell. I, I, that, that for sure. And now, I see that that was a stupid motive. Knowing Jesus Christ is so much more a privilege. Trusting in Him is so much a blessing. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but rather born of God. Ask Christ into your heart if you don't know for certain. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. For those of you who know you are a believer, search your heart. See what God says to you about serving and being a part of the family. This, the whole thing of working together, synergism. It's my new name, my new word. Um, I'm going to not say it again probably ever. <laughs> But I've said it a few times today. So I got a second hand on this clock up here that I peek at every once in a while, make sure I'm on time. So we got at least two minutes before we close. So I'm going to let the clock go one minute. You'll see how long that takes. And I want you to think and pray. If you know Jesus Christ, you thank Him. If you do not, you ask Him into your heart. And I'll close in prayer in one minute. Well, Father, uh, 
just one simple minute out of our lives, but it could be life-changing for some. I pray that you would hear our prayers. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to be the people that you've created us to be at every level. I want to thank you, Father, for this church. I love it. I love the people here so much. I pray you'll bless each of us, Father, in your precious name. Amen.